Hello everyone, you are listening to Black Adoptees Identities. I am your host, Christelle Pellicure, and I am a coach and a multidisciplinary creative. Please join me to explore what identity means for adult adoptees and how they form their identity for their own adoption journey. In this podcast, you will hear a variety of views from adult adoptees about their own experience of adoption and how adoption has impacted them and what lessons they have learned along the way. Please note that the guests have been courageous in sharing their stories and some of the content and subject matters can be emotionally challenging and distressing for some individuals. Please use your own judgment whether to continue to listen or not and do look after yourself. And if you are affected by some of the issues discussed, please seek appropriate support and help. This is a special episode of Black Adoptees Identities. It was recorded to celebrate the end of season one of the podcast and bring back together previous guests from the podcast. In this episode, you will hear Georgie Nicholson, Isaiah James, Jules, Stephanie Venery, Kevin Barnett, Gracie Harkema, and Isaac Sandberg discussing rewriting the narrative. So welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. So happy to see so many of you here and welcome to all the panelists. Um, I am so grateful for having you. Um, so for the audience member, the panelists tonight are uh, past guests on the on my podcast, Black Adoptees Identities, and they've been kindly agreeing to come um, to speak to us again, to have a conversation uh, together, they've never really met, um, so it's an opportunity for them to network and to uh, to talk to each other. And the team for tonight is uh, rewriting the narrative. And really, I wanted to to discuss that theme because part of the reason I put the podcast on is to give a voice to adoptees, because very often we know that it's not a adoptee's voice that's being heard and the story that being all that one way and we never really hear about what is the is around trauma grief loss it's always or oh, adoption is beautiful adoption is love uh, adoptees should be grateful so tonight is an opportunity for adopted themselves to tell us and tell the collective what uh writing rewriting this narrative means to them so i am just going to be facilitating the the conversation tonight so it's mostly the panelists that's going to be talking so i'm going to ask each one of them to introduce themselves first so we know who's around so i've got jules at the top Jules, do you want to introduce yourself hi everyone um i am jules um I am a transracial and transnational adoptee. I was born in Mali um, and was adopted in France. Um, so I grew up in France. I'm now based in London. Um, I have two siblings who are also adopted, um, also from Mali. I'm the youngest, so I arrived in a family where there were already um, adopted people. 
Um, and I do stuff around adoption um, in my life here. Um, I did my research on social linguistics um, on adoptees, uh, transracial and transnational adoptees identities. And I also organize around other stuff. Um, yeah, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, Isaac, you're on mute. <laughs> Sorry, I had to like hide my selfie so I wouldn't like keep staring at myself. But okay, so hi, my name is Isaac. Um, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm adopted. Okay, I'm adopted from Georgia, but I moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I'm an actor, singer, rapper, photographer. Uh, sometimes I do like tech stuff. Um. I just love to have a good time and I love to like have deep conversations with people. Um, and I'm really excited to be here today because I've really only spoken with people like one-on-one -on -one basis. Also there's Isaiah in here, I'm not gonna introduce him, but um, I met him one day and this is why I'm here because I saw this uh, interview get posted on his page and I was like, I'd really like to get a, a part of that and like share my story too. So that's why I'm here today. It was really good to be here with you guys. Thank you. Kevin, you're next. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hello. Um, my name is Kevin. Um, <clears throat> originally from Jersey. Uh, given up um, uh, at birth to the foster care system. Later adopted at the age of 16. Uh, joined the military. Stayed in the military for 20 plus years. Uh, wrote a couple of books about my adoption journey. I... Um, found my biological family in 2016. I've been on a couple of podcasts. I see uh, the adoption journey. Yes, we adopt. I see a couple of people that I, I've talked to and I'm um, just trying to, um, you know, um, mingle with uh, other people like me and share my story and listen to their story because everybody's story is different. Also had a podcast that did 20 ep 25 episodes and um, that's out there on YouTube, but that's it. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Gracie. Hi, everyone. My name is Gracie Harkama. I'm so excited to be here with you all. This definitely, you know, it's very personal for all of us. So um, thanks everyone for making the time to be here. I am, uh, I live in the US in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I am transracially adopted from the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Central Africa. I was adopted at one week old and moved to the US when I was nearly four. Uh, as a profession, I'm a public speaker in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm also an author um, where I wrote about my book. It's called Rising from a Mud Hut to the Boardroom and Back Again. And the antithesis of my book stemmed from when I found out my biological mother was alive at the age of 38 years ago. Thank you, Gretzi. Jodie, you're next. Hiya, I'm Jodie. I am currently living in South Wales, so I'm uh, UK-based. Uh, I'm a transracial adoptee, and I was adopted at the age of six after being in foster care, kind of from birth. Um, I was adopted with my sister, so I have a sibling who's adopted. Um, and I'm a multidisciplinary artist and I make work centered around my experience of adoption and belonging, identity, loss, all that kind of stuff. Thank you. Stephanie, do you want to go next? 
sure I will. Hi, everyone. Thank you guys so much for being here and, you know, listening to us share our story. I think one of the biggest things is not necessarily being heard. And I think that this is a perfect opportunity to be heard and to tell us the story uh, our way. Um, my name is Stephanie and I'm a transracial adoptee from Haiti. I was adopted when I was four months old to uh, white parents in Canada. Um, adopted with another, I have two other siblings. I've got one, I have two older brothers, one from Korea and also one from Haiti. So we're a very cultured family. Um, and I'm here to tell my story, but also share a little bit of my brother's story, who's also from Haiti, who passed away last year of a drug overdose with struggle from his adoption. Um, so I'm here telling my story and his story because he's not here to tell his. Um, and I think that he would be so excited to see this happening. I think that's one of the biggest things for me that he didn't get a chance to see is be in a room surrounded with other adoptees who were dealing with what we were dealing. So this means a lot to me today and I'm here to tell our story. Christelle, thank you for having us here. I'm also gonna be co-hosting, Christelle and I uh, work together. So I will be helping out and asking questions and checking the chat. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you, Stephanie. Hi, Sam. Perfect timing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my name is Isaiah. I am a domestic adoptee from, I was adopted in Wisconsin um, and lived in Wisconsin, Texas. Um, a little bit of everywhere. I have two adopted siblings and then four uh, biological siblings. Um, I have been in reunion. It's a very complicated situation, um, but I've met both my biological parents, which I'm very grateful for. Um, and I no longer keep in contact with my adoptive parents. And I live in California. I work currently as a behavior tech. Um, and I also work on set and do a mix of other things. So I'm really glad to be here and thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us. I know you just finished work, so you are in transit. So I'm really grateful for you to, to be able to make it. Um, so as for me, um, well, you know, I'm Christelle. Um, so hi, I'm the host of the Black Adoptees Identities podcast. I'm also a coach and a multidisciplinary artist. And my adoption journey is uh, I was adopted from Madagascar to France at the age of 10. Uh, and uh, but I've been spending my time between the UK, I'm currently in Portugal today, and France, so I jump around a little bit. <laughs> Um, so, yes, like I said, I will be facilitating this evening. So, I mean, I keep saying this evening because it's evening where I am. I know it's during the day uh, for some of you. Uh, so if you do hear me saying evening all the time, that's why. Um, so I want to ask uh, our panelists, what's the, the theme of this evening? Rewriting the narrative really means to you, uh, on a, both on a personal level around if you want to rewrite your story, or but also on a collective level about the current narrative around adoption. Kevin, can I start with you? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I wish I didn't have that last name, B. Seems for some reason you're always the first one. But anyway, um, oh, okay. Um, basically, um, 
trying to uh, rewrite my narrative is um, just letting everyone know that for me, um, you know, I, I have issues, a um, certain way I have acted in doing my long life um, stems from being adopted and being in the foster care system. So um, telling my story only helps me, not only helps me, but it also helps my kids. I have six kids, nine grandkids. And so I have to, you know, I, I, you know, it's therapy for me. So just wanted to, um, you know, rewrite my narrative to the point where um, my grandkids and thereafter can know where I came from. They don't have to go through the searching and stuff that I, I've done. I've already laid the groundwork for them. Um, and um, so they know where they come from. Like I know where I come from. And also to help other people that are adopted or has been in the foster care system to understand that they can be somebody. They don't have to be an adoptee and, um, you know, um, be looked upon as a failure. You know, um, they can use their story to show how strong they are. So that's what it did for me. It just made me stronger. I mean, you know, you go through your uh, mountains and in your valleys and stuff, but the ultimate thing is um, it, it made me who I am today. And so um, my my thing is just trying to, to prove people wrong and say, look, you know, I made it. Not to say that I don't have no problems, but I made it and I'm not going to let it beat me. So there it is. Great. Thank you so much. Kwatsi, can I come to you next? Yeah, thanks so much, Christelle. Um, I would say for me, what rewriting the narrative is, uh, I was adopted because I was born in war and uh, thought my biological mother was dead her, my whole life until the age of 30. And Kevin, I, you know, empathize with what you were saying, you know, there were so many times where I had struggled with belonging and I kept looking for belonging from all the right people. And yes, of course, I have this loving, I have a loving, uh, incredible adoptive family, um, but, there was still that this missing, this huge missing piece of my life. And I then did have the opportunity to go back to the Congo and meet my biological mother for the first time and meet my biological brothers who were not adopted. Um, and so for me, what, what this means of rewriting the narrative, um, agreeing with Kevin is that, you know, don't let people limit you. Don't let people say that you can't. Um, the theme for my life is rising, and that speaks to rising above the, the adversities that life throws at us. And then also in terms of belonging, it's so often for us to, to look for belonging in other people. And what I have learned for myself is how to find belonging within myself and how to find in that belonging love and acceptance for myself, for who I am. Thank you. Jules, can we come to you next? Um, yeah, I think for me, like when I think about like rewriting the narrative, I think about like speaking in the first person and like recentering like ourselves as adoptees, like in how adoption is talked about. Um, but I think that like also when it comes to like speaking in the first person, I think it's, it's about like what we're doing now, what you're doing with the podcast, Christelle, like what we're all doing, like sharing our stories um, and doing it like not only as a reaction to like other discourses that are around adoption um and I also mean think that it means like connecting with other adoptees and like I feel like because in adoption there is 
always you know that there's like we have a story and often it's like either it's either been told to us or it's hidden from us but like it's never you know we're never really um at the center of these stories so I feel like rewriting the narratives means like re putting ourselves at the center and reclaiming our agency both like individually at the center of our own stories but also like collectively as adoptees at the center and as experts of adoption. Thank you. Stephanie, can I come to you? Yeah, of course. Um, thank you so much everyone for the vulnerability already. We just we just started, it's getting deep right off the bat. <laughs> and just like, I really appreciate it. Um, rewriting the narrative is so, is such a sensitive topic for loads of people because a lot of people want to put adoptees in a certain box and leave them there and not have any other conversation, not have any other, you know, not even paying attention, not even listening to what we have to say and just be grateful. And that's not my narrative. My narrative is, it's not my brother's narrative either, right? It's even if we should be grateful, we could also be struggling too. And it doesn't mean that both things can't be true at the same time. I think that we forget that, that there can be more than one type of feeling towards adoption. And Christelle, with your podcast, right, listening to everybody, everybody has such a different story, but a lot of the same type of struggles, a lot of the same things that come up quite often. Um, I also didn't say that I'm a voice and life coach as my job. So I do work with other transracial adoptees and trying to just have them love themselves. I think that's probably one of the biggest things is that you want to be, you're put in this box and you're trying to conform to what your family wants you to be or who your friends want you to be or even your coworkers want you to be. And we try to not be ourselves. And I've done that for too long. I've done that for way too long. And so did my brother. And even if there was struggles at home, and we couldn't talk about those because you should be grateful that you're not in, you know, he was found in a dumpster at birth. You're not in the dumpster anymore. So things should be better. But like, that means I can't complain at all. And we need to change that. And the more, I think the most important thing is for us to have these conversations, not to defend ourselves, not to defend ourselves towards our family. I think it's just to be able to tell you know, other adoptees who also might be going through these things, because I can guarantee you that adoption is not going to stop. So if I can help the next generation with how to love themselves and how to just trust the process, then that's, that's my goal. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Judy, can I come to you next? Yeah, of course. Um, so for me, Kind of pulling from, you know, the things that have been mentioned about kind of the narrative being something that we uh, should be lucky about or grateful about. Um, whenever I used to hear that, my first knee jerk again was, this is not how I feel. I, f um, you know, this is a, I feel grief, I feel trauma, I feel sad, I feel hurt, I feel alone. Um, and as I've kind of gone on, understanding my story and how I'm feeling is also wanting to remind myself of the 
the power that I have now, like from this experience, like it's been traumatic and I have bad days, but I look at the world through my lens of being adopted. So there's a lot that that now teaches me about the world, about life, about how I deal with things um, and kind of my new or re-understanding of what love is and how that manifests, because that's quite a tricky subject I think I, I find with myself so I think for me reclaiming that narrative is about re-understanding those things through my experience um seeing and feeling the 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 tough negative emotions but also seeing how that makes me stronger now as a person um and sharing that story so I can help other adoptees or connect with other adoptees kind of through that so yeah thank you Isaac you wanna go next all right um so basically just like rewriting the narrative to me means like telling your story um I really go through life thinking that basically everyone is like oh like I get what I want like I do what I want I feel like for me there's so much more of like because everyone's journey is different um, but I feel like my journey, there's been so like ups, um, so many ups and downs and there's been so many like highs that people just think like, oh yeah, like you're gonna, you're gonna like shoot to the moon because you did this one thing. And for me, it's like when I, when that doesn't happen the way that normal people or non-adoptees would think like, oh, well, like you got this. So like, you can just keep on going. And I'm like, there's so much more um to my story there's so many more levels if we're talking about shrek like there's so many like onions like la layers to this onion that like like are me um and i come like from a really big family um 11 people in my family my brother also passed away last year um due to police violence so just to um trigger warning about that um and i have so many younger siblings than me that like me telling my story and me being like as transparent as I can with them um about my feelings um and about like basically what I've experienced in life is kind of the best way for me to rewrite the narrative not only for me but for them to know that they can create whatever narrative they want for themselves like the world is for them um there's also some other like adult adoptees in this group who I've met with um, and basically just like, we all share like the same story. Like it's not the same experiences, but we really do deal with a lot of similar things when it comes to like the self and like to loving and to like um, the journey and the path and like finding where you fit in and like learning to love yourself is like extremely hard and learning that you are lovable sometimes doesn't even feel like believable. Um, especially when something goes wrong, because it just feels like, oh, like if something's not going right for me, I always be like, oh, it's because like, there's something with my identity, like someone's like not feeling like what I've been through, you know? And, um, yeah, so rewriting the narrative is basically just being like, you're the director of your movie and everything that you go through, everything that you experience, um, is important and it's valid and those are all stepping stones to you being the great person you are and you wouldn't be a great person if you hadn't experienced this even if it comes i understand like trauma i have a lot of trauma for being adopted too i still deal with that 
on a daily basis um just thinking about it or like I've had like days where I'm like wow I wonder like did my mom like hold me when I was born or like um this they just like take me away or like do like do they feel me I feel I have other siblings that are like my birth siblings do they feel me um and this is just an opportunity for me to like um share those feelings so if anyone else in this group feels those feelings or anyone who sees this video sees those feelings like you're not alone and we have the power to do whatever we want in life thank you thank you Isa. um isaac uh isaac your turn <laughs> I've, i've kept yeah. both of you at the end and now i'm mixing up the names <laughs> <laughs> no worries um um Oh, we're writing adoption or uh, the narrative. Um, yeah. So for me personally, I am uh, in a time of considering a last name change. Um, I took on my adoptive, uh, yeah, adoptive family's last name, and um, in the last year, it's just been something that I'm like, I don't really identify with these people on a religious level. Most recently, morals. Um, I mean, it just comes down to. Uh, a lot of different topics that you know i'm just like i don't know if i really feel like that family represents me so in in that aspect of rewriting the narrative i would love to get a name a last name change um to reflect something that's a little bit more accurate and a little bit more true to myself um across like the spectrum of adoption i would really love to see um adoptees being able to retain their uh, original birth records um especially here in the states those are locked away and and Pretty much, I mean, you never see them again, and and of course, I did my English thesis paper um, on this very topic. You know, it causes a lot of um, mental and sometimes physical and substance abuse issues um, when people don't have access to their identity. So, I would love to see um, people, adoptees, um, retaining um, their original records so that way they. Um, um understand who they are even after they uh, have been adopted so uh yeah thank you so much um yeah we started very heavy um already and that's kind of reflecting what the narrative is out there about adoption it's not always what adoptees are experiencing um so that's why it is really interesting to hear all of you um your own experience of what it means to you. I am wondering, you know, before I ask each one of you to, to ask each other some questions, I mean, as I've already touched on some of the thing we can do to change, like change of name and uh, keeping, getting our original birth record intact. But what else can we do? Um, you know, Kevin talk about you know, empowering ourselves and aggressively uh, talk about rising up. What can we do as adopted to keep our own narrative and get ourselves um, rising up in our own, own story and not um, relying on other people's story? What else can we do, um, either on a collective basis or on a personal basis? What's, what do you think we can do to support ourselves? Uh, anyone want to start first? I don't want to ask Kevin again <laughs> to start. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in. Okay, okay. So first, and then we'll do Isaiah. We'll do Isaiah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, for me, you know, so I have, I'm transracially adopted. My family is white from the U.S. 
Uh, my adoptive parents uh, are, my mom is from the US, my dad is an immigrant from the Netherlands. And I think in their eyes and in their mind in my whole life, they just thought, you know, oh, look at our, our beautiful daughter or our sister. We have been able to provide this beautiful life for her. And I think in their eyes, I'm the only of my siblings, I'm the only one who's adopted. I have four adoptive siblings. And I believe that their experience as well, uh, they were living in the Congo at the time when uh, they adopted me and we all moved together to the US as a family. I do believe that they truly thought, um, you know, oh, we, this, this is just our sister, we love her, and end of discussion. Um, it wasn't until I started writing my book, my memoir, that I started opening up about my own story and my perspectives, the experiences that I have had with microaggressions, with racism, with discrimination. Um, and for so long, I thought that I didn't have voice. I didn't have voice to speak about my experiences or to speak about the trauma or the loss or the grief about being adopted because they thought it was so beautiful. And so I felt like their, their narrative of, oh, this is so great, we saved this baby from war in Africa um, was so loud to me that I felt minimized. And then in writing my story and writing my book, realizing, hey, this story is gonna go all over the world. Why don't I talk to my family about it? We had some really hard discussions and it wasn't until recent years, so I'm currently 38, they had no idea until I told them, until I explained to them, hey, remember when we were at this restaurant and the hosts treated me differently because I was the only black person in this group of 20 white people who were all my family and the hosts assumed I wasn't with them. When I was able to then realize that I had voice to then share my experiences, that allowed my family to have empathy and to realize the trauma aspect. I don't believe that they ever thought that my adoption was trauma. I don't believe they ever thought it was grief. I truly believe they only thought it was beautiful. And when I allowed myself that agency to be able to speak up, um, it, were some, it was some hard conversations with my siblings and I, I think they weren't, um, I think they were very surprised certainly uh, and with my, with my parents. Um, but me being able to share my journey um, allowed them to be so much more enlightened into my world, into my experience, into my identity. And I wanna say, as loud as the noise is of you should be grateful or wow, look what you came from or thank goodness you're not there your own voice needs to be louder. Your own narrative needs to be louder. Your agency is your existence. Your agency is what people need to hear. And don't ever let anyone feel, like make you feel that you are less than or make you feel that your voice doesn't matter. And even when those conversations aren't going to be rainbows and butterflies, it's so important that we continue to speak or when examples happen to, that we can say, now I'm at a place where I can say to my parents, see what just happened? That was racism. And then now, now they have become allies. They have been able to come um, and, and be able to speak up against, against hate that has happened. But it's so important that we don't lose sight of our voice.
Yeah, that is really, really important. And again, this is the reason why we are here today. The you know that we have to keep getting louder and louder until they hear us. Isa, go ahead. Hi, thank you. Um, it's really gonna echo um similar to Gracie. I mean, um thinking back on my experience, um, you know, my adoptive parents really told me what I liked what I didn't like, what I was good at, what I was bad at, you know, and, and, and this side and the third go down the list. And so, you know, for a long time, I didn't know who I felt like I didn't know who I was. And I didn't know what I truly was interested in, what I wasn't interested in, what I was just being told and what, you know, what is still a possibility of what could be. So, you know, with, you know, trusting your voice, I would just say, listen to your voice as well, you know, and I say that with a grain of salt, um, you know, um, I went on many adventures to go and find my um, uh, birth family, and those were completely unsupported by my adoptive family, even though originally they said, we would love to go on that journey with you. And then when the journey came, they were like, wait, you're actually going to do it? And it was like, well, yeah. And then they were like, we don't want to do that. And so I really had to like ask myself, is this something that you really want or is this just something that you wanted to do with other people around and like have this moment? Um, and so um, going back to your question of just like, what can people do um, um, to try to, you know, hold on to their identity is really, you know, listen to your voice, listen to those inner desires, especially if you were an adoptee who was shut down as a kid, who was told you know, what you like, what you don't like, you know, listen to that inner voice, try new things out, go on a little adventure with yourself. Um, I think it's called dating yourself. Somebody told me that and I've been trying that and it's been uh, scary, lonely, but really exciting. And um, I found I've definitely um, found um, many things out about myself that I didn't know before. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Jules, do you want to share with us? If yeah um i think that like i really relate to everything that was said before um i think that when it comes to like what we can do i mean i don't know I, i'm like there's things that i do and that work for me um maybe i don't know if they will work for other people but i feel like it's about finding also like what works for you and i feel like for me it's like i see it as like there's really like the collective level and the individual one and i feel like on the collective one personally like it helps me to connect with other adoptees to also like connect with other people who are not necessarily adopted but other racialized people to see you know how our stories like are connected how they're linked and how we can act together and organize together around these things and that actually brings me a lot of peace because I feel like it helps you know because often like growing up, I was like, okay, I'm the one who has a problem. I'm the one who sees the world like that and no one else understands. Or, you know, it's like you, a unique story, all of that. But I feel like now connecting with other people, I realized that I'm like, wait, this like is something that other people experience as well. And that brings a lot of peace to me to like actually, you know, gather and like see, like share feelings or like just like be active and like agents together. Um, and on the individual level, I relate a lot to what Gracie and Isaiah said in the sense that, like, I think that, like, listening to yourself and, like, to your voice is, like, so important because there are so many times when, you know, I was feeling like 
I would be organizing with collectives and stuff and be like, yes, we need to reclaim our agency. But then I was like, on my own, I'm like, why am I still feeling shame? Why am I still feeling sad? Why am I still feeling this and that? And like, is it okay? What do I do with that? And I feel like over the years, I've also learned to be like, it's actually okay to feel these things. And like, I need, I don't need to like pretend that I'm not feeling them, but see how to deal with them. And for me, that's art, that's therapy, that's, you know, friendship. And for other people, it might be something else. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's about just like also seeing the, our complexity and, and our um, contradictions and that it's okay to have those. Um, I'm saying this, I'm still learning to do that. It's not like, you know, I'm not like, oh, I've got it all figured out now. Um, no, far from it. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm trying. But I really do think that for me, one of the things that that's really like changed my life is like getting to know other adoptees and like either being friends with them or just like sharing stories. It's It's really been a massive, a massive thing for me. So, yeah. Thank you. Isaac? Um, yeah, so growing up, um, I did grow up a lot around like of a lot of people who were adopted. Um, Minneapolis is pretty diverse, um, all kinds of families out here. And I think growing up, I was surrounded by adopted people, but we never really talked about what we were feeling or what we were experiencing. Um, it's just basically like, it just felt so normal because that was like the community that we're in. So we're like, oh yeah, this is my mom or these are my parents or these are my dad, like these are my siblings. Um, it wasn't until I was maybe around like 18, 19 where I realized how um, different everyone's experience was um or like how similar but like not the same I don't know if that makes sense but um how many uh different outcomes because you know you don't really know what's going on at someone else's house especially if you see someone at church or like at school or, or things like that and um I just agree with every like everything that everyone said is like so on point um and I just I don't know like for me talking to other like adoptees has been really good um, but also just like listening to that inside voice, like um, I think everyone has said that, but I think Isaiah, I remember saying that, like listening to that voice, um, it's so hard, but it's so like real, like you know what you want, but it's it's so hard to like believe it. I think for me, I'm always struggling with like like, honestly, so I'm just going to use a personal story because this is how I, my narrative is just always like a movie. It's always, I had to break it down for you. But like, I don't know, like, I always try to like look cool because like not look cool. Like I want to be cool to other people, but I think this is cool. So I want to dress like this. Um, Like my dad, like he grew up in like, uh, like the 70s and the 80s. Um, and like, I just loved like how he dressed when I was younger. So I just wanted to like replicate that. And I really couldn't do that when I was 18. Uh, I mean, when I was like younger, but then like, as I went through high school, I realized like, oh, like this is cool, jean, jean shorts. Like I like this kind of stuff. I like to like look like this. And it was like, it always feels like it was like before the mark, like, oh, like before this became popular, you already liked it. You, you already did that or like, um 
just finding like things that you love is so important um for like adoptees i think and um one thing that's like really powerful with me um i remember I was talking to my dad my adopted dad about like being adopted and it was like a really groundbreaking thing that he said and he said um uh he said when you adopt a child it's not about like giving them the life you think they should have it's about supporting them on their journey through life um and that's been a really big thing for me i do feel a lot of understanding with my parents even though it's not perfect there's a lot of learning lessons um if i don't speak up i just feel like my younger siblings will have to experience something more um like worse than me i don't want them to feel that you know like i feel like when i go through life i'm really trying to like represent for everything i am like when we talk about things like intersectionality like every part of you is a different is a different puzzle piece you know and like if someone's black if someone's queer if someone's adopted if someone's overweight if someone's um someone's bow-legged if someone's pigeon-toed if someone you know whatever you're struggling with you can't read you can't write like all those things like that level of intersectionality is always gonna be like the connection that you have with other people. Um, I've been in a lot of situations, like when I was in college, I remember this girl, we'd always talk about like going to the cabin. Um, like I'll be like, oh yeah, like my family always used to go to my cabin when I was younger, I had a trampoline and we would go like canoeing and like on the boat. And like, I remember this one girl, she was like a white girl and she was just so shocked that me and her had like a similar like, childhood because she couldn't see that like just because i'm a certain skin tone or i act a certain way it doesn't mean that mean you haven't experienced the same thing i think meeting people at that common level is like how like growth happens so just being yourself being open um finding who you are is going to connect you with the right people in life honestly Thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. Jody, did you, did you want to share anything or Kevin or Stephanie? Yes, yeah, Stephanie? I can go if Jody, if you feel like you're <laughs> about to go, did you want to say something? I can totally wait. No, it's okay. I can go after you. Let my thoughts. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, thank you guys so much for all of this. It's so vulnerable. It's so real. There's so many things that we're talking about that I think we all kind of resonates with us a little bit, um, which is comforting and sad all at the same time. Um, the more that I'm learning to speak up and discuss my adoption, my brother's adoption and discuss the hard stuff, the more people I'm, I'm meeting and it's just so great um you know i think what we need to do is have more of these conversations have more of these situations where we are here to tell our story um i know that growing up in a predominantly white environment not only are we talking about the adoption side we're talking about the racism right that was there full on right my dad is a six foot five italian man my mom is a very white french canadian little lady right my brother's korean and then there was two black kids that just didn't fit in. And you try to figure out what's next. You try to figure out how to fit in, but you're always, you try to blend in. I remember blending in 
trying to, but it's always someone having a question about adoption. Why were you adopted? What does that mean? Oh, it means your real mom didn't want you? What do you say to that when you're in grade five just trying to get through math class? Right, you're always having to justify why you're here because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how this person from Haiti, a black child, came to Timmins, Ontario in Canada in this predominantly white environment. It's just not connecting, it's just not making sense. Very lonely. And I know that my brother and I felt very alone. And for him, it was to silence that is turning to substance meet with food. I needed to control my narrative. I needed to control something and I can control my eating habits, right? So there's just so many things that we need to do. And it's, it's unfortunate that we have to do all the work, right? Because no one else is going to. And one of the biggest things is being heard. And that doesn't mean that that's your adoptive family. That doesn't mean that it's your group of friends, right? It doesn't mean that there's no racism in my family. It doesn't mean there's no racism in my group of friends. It doesn't mean there's no racism in my community, right? It was always there. And having to focus on who's going to hear me, who's going to listen to me. The, you know, um, when my brother passed away last year, I went home and I post a lot on my Instagram about adoption, my brother, all of it. And I sent it to my mom and she said to me, oh, did, did him being adopted really bother him? And I see some faces. I love, there's so much staff and attitude in it. And I love it. Um, yeah, exactly. That was kind of my feeling of like, okay. And I just said to her, well, if you're asking me this when he's already dead, we're too late. We're too late on the question. So Isaiah, I feel you in terms of, thank you for sharing of the fact that you're not in contact with your adoptive family. That's something I think that adoptees have a hard time kind of admitting and talking about is that, you know, we were saved and there's guilt that comes there that we feel like we need to keep them in our lives. And I've been dealing with that as well. And I have now recently gone to a point where I don't speak to my adoptive family. And it doesn't mean it forever. It just means that for now, as I'm grieving, as I'm dealing through all of this, I need some time. And I think that we need to understand that being heard and feeling heard is, is not always the default of who's there, right? It is, we have to, we have to search for these people who are there to listen and to love us unconditionally. And I didn't feel the unconditional love until I met my husband six years ago. Right. And we talk about love and Jody, you talked about it in love and understanding what love is to an adoptee and it's confusing and all of these things, but I, I don't know if unconditional love is something that we all felt. And that's a huge conversation, it's a big topic, but that's just how we go. So I think the biggest thing for me is continue to do this, continue to have the tough discussion, the tough conversation, and not feel like you have to justify or you know explain why you're here. Just, I just wanna be heard. And I think a lot of us, that's, that's the goal. That's why we're doing this, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Judy, do you want to go next? I know you, you were thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, I want to say uh, 
actually thank you to everything everyone's sharing and especially like when you were talking just then Stephanie I could feel some rage <laughs> my body I was like oh my god <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it down keep it down um I think while I've been listening to people speaking and sharing I mean I'm clicking away and just wanting to echo a lot of what's kind of already being said and then kind of reflecting for me um I think my it's it started off a very personal journey and kind of realizing that I needed it kind of for myself to um not only just kind of I think it was a whole reclaiming of my whole identity like we you talked about um intersectional identities and the other parts that make us us as well as the massive one that we're talking about which is being you know being adopted um but for me there's been a I've been trying to like really kind of step into myself fully um step into the fact that I'm adopted step into my black self you know I mix I'm mixed race and I live and was adopted into a white family um and I didn't have that black identifier near me I didn't have I didn't kind of grow up knowing what that was really and so I think for the last few years it's been a, a very active kind of stepping into myself fully and embracing it and learning it as I go along and and all of that which I think has been a great journey and then and now it's starting to open that up and to find the adoptee community with other other adult adoptees um because as I you know as I was going on my journey to find therapy and stuff like that I realized here in the here in Wales particularly there is like no one like literally no one that I can speak to I know there are other adoptees out here I know I'm not the only adoptee but like when it comes to like finding them or when it comes to finding kind of therapists that you can speak to that you know are allowed to speak to you like I had an experience where I had a therapist for a while and I went to her and I was just saying like I feel depressed at the moment I just need to talk to somebody I need to I want to be able to speak and be happy and not cry all the time um so she so we had I had sessions with her and then I realized now that after a few months and I started talking about adoption and potential reunion with my birth father and stuff, she started to shut them down and went, okay, you're done now. I, I can't help you anymore, you're done now. And I was like, it's only looking back that I go, oh shoot, that was, it's because I talked about the thing I can't talk about. And kind of noticing that, um, that that's the case here and you know potentially, I, I guess, elsewhere in the world as well um so finding that community and kind of being fierce in that and and resilient in that um yeah I think it's really important for us thank you so much Dodin Kevin yeah um I think Isaiah said something about uh changing names um if you decide to do that do it before you have kids because uh um I, I I went through about I don't know four or five different name changes because when you <clears throat> not knowing who you are is, is something else. Um, you know I I went through the first time when I changed my name is because I, I at that time I had a little beef with my adopted parents. So I'm gonna change my name except for my first name because I wanted to have some tie to to my mother who I haven't met at the time. And then <clears throat> I wound up having to change it back because uh, I had kids and I didn't want them to. Confuse them, you know. Say, wait, wait, my name is Barnett, but you said 
he was born Kevin Hodge, you know. So, you know, um, I, I can kind of, um, you know, I know what you're going through when it comes to identity. Um, not just with the name changes, but just who you are, where you're from. You know, um, just when I find my parents and stuff, you know, it's, it, it um, somewhat completed me. But then I had new problems because I, I had this adoptive family that, you know, to some extent did help me out on my journey in life. You know, it wasn't all bad. Now I found my biological family on both sides. So now I'm always only one of me. So I'm trying to please everybody over a thousand people trying to please, you know? And so now, you know, it becomes more complicated. You know, I got siblings on both sides. I got adopted siblings. I got one sibling that, um, uh, when I was a, before, before he was born, I was already there. So all he knows is me as his big brother. So he couldn't understand why I'm looking for my parents. And when I found my parents, I found other siblings. He thought I was going to just abandon him. So it's just so many emotions tied up. And it's all because someone lied. You know, someone didn't step up to play. Someone kept secrets. And and to this day, I'm suffering. And then it, you hand that same suffering down to your kids and to your grandkids. And so so for me, you know, um, I, I have to stay true to myself. You know, and hearing stories from other adoptees that are younger than me, I ain't gonna say much younger than me, but younger than me, they're going, they have went through this, they're still going through the same things that I've went through in the 60s, in the 70s. A good shout out, Isaac, to the 70s. Hey, we dressed pretty cool back then. But you know, you know, so it's like, wow, some of these issues are still going on, you know, and collectively, um, I think um we have to actually be open to other perspectives. And the reason why I said that I was, I was fortunate enough to um, attend a, um, a um, event with uh, Yes We Adopt uh, a couple of months ago. And we had people from, we had people from the state, you know, social workers, and we also had parents, uh, adoptees, and we had civil, you know, we had a mixture of everybody and then listen to the uh, perspectives from different um, um, perspectives helps me to understand certain things, you know. So um, so collectively and individually, I think there's something that, you know, we need to continue to um, be involved in and and, um, and continue to um, share our stories. The more you share your story, the more this gets out to the masses. Because there's a lot of people out there still believe that we ought to just be grateful that somebody gave us a chance. We should just be grateful. Why do you want to search? You should be grateful. You know, but it's the little things. It's the little things like birth certificate. I, I actually found my birth. Well, actually, they passed a law in New Jersey to allow you for your birth certificate. But it's not a birth certificate. It's information off your birth certificate on a white piece of paper. And it says it's your, it's, it's your birth certificate, but it's not for identification only. I still can't get my original green birth certificate. I, I will never get that because it's sealed and it's gone. So something that little. A lot of people take that for granted, you know, not knowing how long you was, how, what time you was born in, all the different things that people take for granted. They, they, they don't understand. And, and so the more you share the story, the more people that are thinking about adoption, these things, you know, uh, they have to consider these things, you know, um, it's just not about them having the kid. It's about that kid and that kid, what that kid's going to have to go through. Thank God for DNA. 
because DNA, ancestry, and all that, it's opened up a lot of lies, you know, and um, you know, and and um, you know, uh, just thank God that um, some of these some of these stories can be told. Thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, I am going, I'm mindful of the time, so I'm going to open it up to the panelists to ask each other some questions as a follow-up of what you've just heard. And the audience member, while um, each other are talking, you can also put some question in the chat and we can pick those up as we go along. Yeah, I just want to I just want to say a little quick something to Jody about therapy. Um, I'm really sorry you had to deal with that. Unfortunately, it's so common. Um, I know that I went into a therapy session, right? Not all therapists are meant to help everyone. You have to, you know, some people have their specialties and things like that. So I went in to speak to a therapist one day and it was a white woman. I said to her, I started off with, you know, I'm adopted and, you know, and, and she cut me off and she's like, oh my God, you must be so grateful. Good for you. And like, I literally walked out, I got up and I was like, this ain't going to work. Thank you so much. And I left. If you are already going to tell me how I should be feeling about my adoption, we're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. So my husband last year was like, why don't you go and try to search for a black adopted therapist? Maybe they're out there. Maybe they'll understand. Maybe they won't minimize things. And I did some research and I found one and she's been amazing. But you got to search, right? Because not everybody knows how to deal with adoption. There's so many feelings and situations that they have no idea how to handle. We are, de we are dealing with grief. We are dealing with anger. We are dealing with so many things that people have no idea what that means. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and not all therapists can handle it. And that's okay. So Jody, I'm telling you, girl, keep searching. It will be there. You will find someone. And if you need help, message me. I will send you some names because you have, you are entitled to grieve. You are allowed to grieve. You're allowed to feel the way that you're feeling and not have that be dismissed and just specifically be heard. So got you. Jules. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say something on that same topic um, because I know that like, it's especially like from what Stephanie was saying is like, we, it's I think it's a lot especially you know we have to like search for a therapist especially when we are in crisis like often that's when we need a therapist and so that's when like we have to do also all the labor of like actually looking for the right person which is a lot um and Jody I know in the UK there is the um, BAATN I don't know if you've heard of them mm -hmm. the Black African and Asian Therapy mm -hmm. Network um so like I yeah just just a resource um I know I've contacted them a few times and like you can search for therapists like depending on like identity but also things that you would like to work on and I think it's such a useful resource so yeah I'm also happy to connect on that if you need. 
I think what we should also be doing as well is in the chat later on, if there's, you know, your handle on Instagram or LinkedIn for people to connect with you, either it be the panel, the panelists themselves or the audience, I think that we should have the opportunity to do that. And so then if there's any resources or anything that we need to send, let's do it. Because I think that we need to stick together and we need to continue to hear and listen and work together. So I have, I've put in the chat um, the resources that Jules has mentioned, and I have used some of the services before, and I can say that there's some really good people on there. Uh, so anyone else have a question as a follow-up to each one of what have been said from well, anyone in the panel? Um, I have a question. I already unmuted myself. Um, is there anyone like on the panel here who doesn't want to find their birth family at all? Um, I know maybe that's a little bit personal, but I know that in my family, um, we have different, um, everyone who's adopted in my family, like wants a different thing. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to know if you are willing to share about maybe why, or like, is it, like, I don't know, if you just wanted to, like, touch on that for me, I really wanted to know just to make sure I can connect with other adoptees in the future. Stephanie? I'll go with this one. Isaac, thank you for asking the question. I think that a lot of people always go, you must want to find your birth. You must. You want to have the answers. You must want to. And sometimes you don't. And that shouldn't be judged. It should be okay and accepted and respected. Um, back in 2015, my biological brother from Haiti found me on Facebook and warmed me with just like, I need money. I need this. I need this. I need this. Your mom wants this. And you know what? I had to put that aside. And it's not to say that at some point I might never want to speak out and reach to them ever. But right now I have to do what's safe for me. And that was not safe. I was dealing with loads of stuff here in my adoptive family, in my life here in Canada, that I couldn't take on the burden. I couldn't take on the rest of the responsibilities to, to deal with the rest of my family in, in Haiti. And that's okay to not feel that way, to feel like you don't want to search. And that can change, right? It could change. It doesn't happen. It doesn't have to happen in your 20s and your 30s. It could be when you're in your 50s and you feel like you want to know the information. But if you don't want to, that's your decision and it should be respected. Thank you so much for answering that. I really mm -hmm. appreciate that. Thank mm -hmm. you for being open. Jules? Um, I feel like on that topic, like for me, what, would, what was helpful is because it's not that I don't want to find my birth family. I feel like for a time, a long time, I thought that I did actually, and that like it would solve all my problems and that I would have all my answers, etc. Um, and I think that like at some point I realized I was like, okay, what do I actually want and need? And I was like, what I want and need is some answers. And I feel like these answers don't have to be provided by my birth family. And I'm so I'm kind of like at the moment trying like more focused on like how to get the the answer these answers um because I'm not really to be honest like trying to like reconnect or something with like my birth family it's more 
things that have to do with like health, with the how my life started, with like, you know, these kind of things. And also like because I was so when I was adopted, I was in an orphanage and then I lived with um before being adopted with someone who was working at the orphanage. Um and I went back to Mali and like I'm in contact with that person. So that person like was able to give me information on how my life started while not being my birth family. So, you know, these brought some answers. So I feel like for me it was about, you know, trying to like targeting what is it that I want and what is it that I don't want and kind of like how do I get there if I can and how important is it for me to have these things. Um, and like, yeah, and the fact is that actually these things don't need to be provided by my birth family. So I'm kind of like, I'm not trying to look for them. Um, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that too. Thank you for sharing your story. There is a question from the audience asking if anyone, uh, any adopted heir has been adopted by a black family. Uh, Kevin, you've been, that's your case, wasn't it? You are. Yes, I have a problem finding mute button. <laughs> yeah. Um my my first uh my first 10 years on this earth, I was um in the foster care system um with a black family, which I had to deal with uh color colorism. I guess that's what they call it, right? And um because I was the dark one, I, I went through a whole lot of craziness just because of the color of my skins and these was black folks. So, you know, so sometimes it doesn't, <laughs> sometimes having the people that look like you don't work out either somewhat. But anyway, I went through, uh, to this day, I had problems with, with Christmas. I had problems with Halloween. I had problems with a lot of holidays because of that. You know, they used the holidays to to belittle me. Um, then I was wound up uh, being adopted by a black family, which for the most part, it went pretty well until I got abused, you know, um, from the male. And, um, you know, and then, of course, the family don't don't believe you. Um, I was brought up in the Christian church, Christian Christianity, <laughs> and um, very religious. Um, and I had good times and I had bad times. Um, but, um, yeah, um, sometimes it doesn't um, pan out the way you think it's going to pan out just because you look like one another. Is that is that adoption? Is that adoptee? Because you, first of all, you know, you 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 with folks that you don't look like, even though you're saying color of the skin, but you don't look like. I my my mother, my adopted mother was very fair skinned, so they knew that that was not my mom. My father, he was real tall. Um, I went through grammar school with one name, and then I had a name change all of a sudden. So I had to deal with all the the dynamics with kids. Why you change your name? You know, and then you tell them you're adopted. And back in the 70s, you tell somebody you're adopted automatically. It's like, what? Your mother didn't love you? Or, you know, boom, and all that stuff. And kids were really bad back then, just like they are now. You know, just being on social media to, to show it. But, yeah, kids, you know, I, I got in many of fights. I was a skinny kid, so I had to protect myself. I had to join the martial arts and all this kind of stuff. And I wound up joining the military you know, just, just to get my confidence, um, you know, uh, back on track. But yeah, um, I was I was adopted by a black family, and also I was in the foster care system with a black family. So um, I had a little mixed emotions about that. 
but um, that's that's my story. Thank you so much for sharing. Does anyone else have any follow-up comments, questions? <clears throat> uh, any from the audience? Isaac? Um, yeah. Um, Kevin was just talking about how uh, your own people. And um, I was just wondering if anybody else has a hard time around Black people who know you're adopted by white people. Because ever since I've moved to LA, as soon as a black person finds out I was adopted by white people, they are just going down the list. Where can we take away his car? When can we take it away? And we're not giving it back. And uh, <laughs> um, it, it's just like, I've, I've never been in such a diverse place and felt like, yeah, it's hard to fit in. <laughs> and not everybody's like that, but like, I'm like, how do I live in one of the most diverse places in the world? And yet people do not want me to be diverse. <laughs> Um, else I, I can relate to that. I've met Isaiah in person, so that's just a little, a little, <laughs> a little plus. Um, and I feel like definitely living in LA, um, which honestly, I lived in New York City before and Minneapolis and Mexico, so like I really didn't feel like the same, but um, definitely in LA, I remember that too. Um, I felt like it was easier for me to tell people I was adopted from the start because um, I could navigate through the social interaction better because it felt like people were always like, mm, your voice is like a little different or you talk a little different than we've heard people talk before or like wow. the experiences that I'm talking about, um, they couldn't necessarily relate to sometimes. Um, so yeah, I have experienced that and I can relate to that too. So that's a crazy thing that you brought up. Mm. Jody? Um, yeah, same, basically. Um, I think I think it also, there's always been a thing because I'm, I'm mixed as well. So I'm mixed race, like the thing of I'm too black for the white people that I'm with or I'm too white for the black people that I'm with and there's a kind of um a, particularly when I'm around my black friends or black people it's almost like a it's, it's almost like a oh okay we get why you're so white now the second I say that I'm adopted with white parents they go oh okay we give you a pass then for not understanding something that otherwise everyone in the room understood and it's like like thanks I suppose <laughs> I don't know like um yeah I don't know I, I just have to I think I have to laugh otherwise I'll cry and I just kind of go I'm just going to be me and I don't know what that means but otherwise it just means I'm me <laughs> and it's fine and yeah don't spend time with people who are going to give you that energy I think <laughs> absolutely Jules yeah, I'm like, when you said that, I was like, this is so relatable Um, <laughs> in a way that's like, because I feel like when I was a teenager, I was kind of like, you know, trying to find like what my, what blackness was, what that meant. And I was like, let me look at the black people and imitate them. And I was like, okay, if they do this, I'm going to do that. If they listen to this, I'm going to listen to that and stuff. And then I was kind of like, but that's also not me. And I feel like now I'm kind of like, I have a no bullshit policy 
which means that like when when people are like sometimes you know even friends I have like friends who would be like oh yeah but I forget the like you know you're kind of white on the inside as well or these kind of things I'm like no I, let me stop you right there <laughs> because I feel like it's also this thing of like you know we all I'm like we all like we're all black in our own ways regardless of whether we're adopted or not so why like it's not any different for me you know what I mean like there's not one way to be black there's not one way to be this or to be that so but like yeah this is so relatable so and I feel like it's also like quite hard to be honest in the sense that like I feel like on the outside I have a no bullshit policy and I am able to stand up for myself and say stuff but I'm not gonna lie sometimes it still hurts you know sometimes it does still hurt and I feel like when that happens, that's kind of when I turn to my chosen family of adoptees. Because I'm like, they get it. They get it. Stephanie? It's so relatable. It's almost like, it's just crazy. Um, I used to be called an Oreo. That was my term. Black on the outside, white on the inside. I was the Oreo. I've been an Oreo for a long time. Um, and I think that in my predominantly white environment, I think that that was really peaceful for them to think that I was more of a white person than a black person. I think it made them feel better. I think it made my adoptive family feel better um, where I was just, I was, too white. I was either too white or too black, depending on where I was and meeting people. So you can never win, um, unfortunately, until mm -hmm. see someone else is like Oreo has been a thing. Like that's just what it was said. And my family said that as well. We all said it was the funny joke, the Oreo in the family, you know. Uh, and my brother was a fudgio because he was black everywhere. And it was like, ha ha ha, it was a good little funny racist moment at the dinner table, right? So we all have those those feelings of just like having to fit in or trying to blend in or trying to be someone that we're just not. And it's unreal that we're all having, that we've all kind of dealt with it. We've all, we're all feeling the same way where we have these nicknames to kind of, you know, preface that. And for me, you'll see in a lot of my handles and stuff like that, my name is spelled differently. So my name is spelled the standard S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. And when I was growing up, I was told that it was very white. I said, loads of people said, it's so weird that the three of you are not white and you guys have the whitest names. Jason, David, Stephanie, very white. And it was bugging me. So when I was about 15 or 16, I started performing. I started doing all these things and I ended up changing my name to S-T-E-F-F-A-N-Y. And not that it makes it less white. It just, it was something that I got to choose and had control over. So that's kind of what it is. And at some point it will be legally changed for that because that to me was just a moment of embracing a little bit of my blackness. And being, you know, raised in a white environment embracing your blackness is always is not really encouraged because then it would you know make that divide so much greater to your white family to you so it's there's some struggles we've all dealt with it it's, it's unfortunate I'm so thankful that you know some of you all you know most of you know what we're talking about in terms of 
being too white, not being white, not being black, all of these things. Just like be you, damn it. Be you. Right? Like that is just the most important thing is like be you no matter what the color, no matter what, like it doesn't matter. And if I'm going to be around, I don't surround myself with people anymore who would call me an Oreo. I don't surround myself with people who are going to ask me those questions. Because if you have to ask me those questions, bye. Um, oh, go ahead. I was Isaac. just, um, sorry. Um, I was just looking at something from Grow Foods here. Um, Lane, hello, and Jai, and Charlie. Those are my friends that I know. Um, and they brought up a really good thing here that says, um, what legislation or legal issues should not adoptees focus on to support y'all? What are some things that you guys think are maybe some ideas um, that could like maybe like help that or what are some ideas that you guys have? I saw you, you've answered, I think in the chat, did you want to talk about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I will, I was just wondering <laughs> if there's other people, but basically like, I feel like there should be like more resources for like mental health, especially cause we kind of already touched on that as like finding therapy and stuff like that. Um, I think I can relate to a lot of the situations that Stephanie and Jody and basically everyone talked about on this. But for me, it's like feels like a lot of the time, like if I were to go to like a just black person, I'm not just a, a non-adoptee black person um, for like mental health issues. I feel like sometimes it, they really don't understand what I'm talking about. Um, and some like it's just really strange. Like, I feel like there's some kind of divide that they're not really getting what I'm saying or like, um, that's what I've experienced in the past sometimes. Um, and then also maybe if someone, Patrice commented on the chat here talking about, um, there is like resources for that, um, about maybe finding options or answers. Um, when I was younger, I used to really, uh, this is a tangent, but it oh, it's gonna tie back around. Um, I saw the movie Antoine Fisher like five years ago, and in Antoine Fisher, there's this scene, and it's like, and it's in Georgia, so it's obviously really triggering to me because I'm from Georgia, and or maybe Mississippi, but it don't matter because it's the South. So it's like this long table that had like all these candles on it, and all these like black family members that this man Antoine Fisher had never met before. Um, and he had this like really traumatic um, upbringing and um, that triggered me so much um, watching it for like a communications class that it wasn't supposed to like bring anything out of me, but it really like did something to me. And I used to like really, really, really wanna like see my birth family and like hang out with them and like talk to them. But like, for some reason there was like a lot of, um, hesitation like I felt like if it's like Antoine Fisher like that one scene where it was zooming down the whole thing of all his family I feel like it'd be like so overwhelming for me so that's why I had written down like um options like to find answers like finding your family and stuff like that or like support groups because like there's just so many different levels to it and thank you everyone for sharing about like what their choices were or what they could be in the future because I'm kind of dealing with that now. 
Um, I had also been to Georgia with my younger siblings. They're adopted from Ethiopia. This is like two years ago. Um, and I had went there. We wanted to go to Six Flags. So I remember going to Six Flags and then being like, wow, like you're so close to your birth family. But I also wouldn't want to put my younger siblings who maybe this would trigger something in them if I were to go on a trip and to meet my um, birth family. I, I didn't know basically how they would feel about that. And I didn't know if I was ready myself, but I really decided at the end, like not to pursue it. You don't see me on here. Yes. You don't see me on here. Yes, I do. You don't see me on here. I, I'm on a call. I've just, I've just missed you for a moment, Isaac. Um, okay. Um, yeah, thank you so much, everyone. I think this is a good point to probably start winding up because we're getting to toward the end of the time together. But I think I would like to ask each one of you maybe to, to say just in one sentence, if you had something to to tell um, the adoption community and anybody else who work in that area who are interested in adoption, what would be one truth that you'd like to share with people around rewriting the narrative, I should say, I should, one truth. Um, I'll go first because it's just quick and easy and ready for me. Uh, the one thing would be to tell others to unlearn the grateful narrative of adoption. If we all had that situation of unlearning that and thinking, I don't even know where it came from, but let's end it. Let's end that right away and let adoptees actually tell you what they think. I second that. Um, thank you. <laughs> tell the truth. Thank you. I'll jump in. Mine is a quote from Brene Brown, who is an author. And it's that true belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. I'm just gonna say this for me, something that I believe it's like, just read the poem um, Harlem by Langston Hughes and then apply that to how you know people and how they're, dreams and how everything is happening to them just think about how that's affecting them and what's going to happen to their dream you know is it going to defer is it gonna is it gonna wilter like something in the sun i don't know for me i'm always thinking about that and i think if we apply that to the narrative of an adoptee it's like they could have everything but they might not but how much are you willing to love them regardless Jody, yeah yeah um i think i would say don't let fear lead you unless it's leading you forward. Because um, there's many times that I've been af afraid and so I've not done something. But I think if you're letting it lead you into action, then you'll find yourself. Sure. So, Kevin? Oh, I thought I said it already. Uh, to tell the truth. Oh, yes, it did. <laughs> My apology. <laughs> See, you playing with me. Playing with me. <laughs> She's lying to you. She's lying to you right off the bat. That's not what we were about. <laughs> well, Jules, I think it's only you. <laughs> um, I think I'd say be vocal. And like, I really like Audrey Lord and I come back to her a lot. So I'd say like, just turn your silence into like language and action. 
I think is one of the most important things. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. And before we go, I just wanted to ask each one of you as well, just to say um, if there's any work you want people to know, to follow what you're working on at the moment, uh, that is important that you want to uh, tell and share with us, uh, feel free to do now. So, um, Grati, let's start with you. Thanks so much. Um, recapping earlier, I'm a best-selling author. My memoir is called Rising from a Mud Hut to the Boardroom and Back Again. The main title is Rising. So if you just look up Rising by Gracie Harkema, um, feel free to check out my book. I also narrated the audiobook. And uh, a year ago today, I went back to the Congo, hired a local film crew and surprised my biological mother. And the whole audio of that conversation with my biological mother and my biological brother is the bonus chapter in my audiobook. But my book is available, hardcover, ebook, and audio everywhere you buy books throughout the world. Thank you so much. Thank you. Jodi? Um, well, over the next year, I'm going to be working on a solo piece um, that's talking all about adoption. Um, but alongside that, I'm looking at uh, creating space for adult adoptees to come together uh, more regularly and connect chat kind of do whatever I recognize I'm in the UK and you seem predominantly elsewhere but if it resonates to you if you want to chat I don't know that's what I'm doing <laughs> right amazing hi sir um this is a Christmas event I will not be hosting it but I will be there um, if you go on Instagram, Rewriting Adoption, we are hosting a um, open mic, kind of like open tape round table, however you want to see it, on Christmas evening. So if you're not going home or if you are going home, but you want to like be with in community that evening, um, feel free to join. Um, I'll leave the account that you can find the registration link in the chat. Thank you. Kevin? Yes, um, you can reach me at livingmyshadows.org. It's my website. Um, to my books, it's on all three medias. Um, what else? Uh, I also participate in helping people find their um, biological parents, uh, help them with uh, the DNA process and stuff like that. Um, that's about it. Thank you. Isa, did you want to say something else? You've got your hand up. I'm not sure. Isa, do, do you still want to say something or it's still from earlier? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's I think it was <laughs> okay. a mistake. Um, yeah, please make sure that if there's anything that you want us to follow or anything like that, please put it in the chat. Not only just your handles, but put the name, you know, the title of your book, the things that, you know, even poems that you want us to write that resonate with you. I think this is just having a support to be able to help each other out. So please put it in the chat. Uh, and I'll take it and I'll kind of post it somewhere else if no one has if no one had the opportunity to get the handles and stuff like that I'll have it on a on a I'll send it in an email or something so I can send you guys all of the information uh Jules is there anything you want to share with us I don't have anything to share okay apart from love <laughs> Isaac um so my Instagram, I'm not telling you guys have to like follow me on Instagram, but honestly, I like to do like a lot of creative things. 
I like to experience things. I like to go hiking. I like to go kayaking. I like to go snow tubing. If you want to see or you like want to see someone doing something fun that's also an adoptee who's not afraid to live life, and sometimes I am, but um, you can follow me. Um, there's like a few shows I'm gonna be in soon. Um, as an actor. Um, and honestly, right now, I'm really trying to work on a script for a movie. Um, it doesn't really focus around adoption yet, but I think in the future, that will be something I'm ready to touch on. But um, if you want to follow me um, on Instagram, that would be a good idea to just kind of see my process. And uh, I'm going to go look at the post on Instagram now that was posted on the main site um so i'm gonna go follow those people too but yeah i'm gonna post mine here but i'm only telling you to follow me because i love to see people grow i love to see people shine um and it's so crazy when you're not seeing someone every day just to see their growth so i would love to see you guys there thank you so much thank you thank you thank you to Chris. each one of you on the panel sorry stephanie did you want to say something I wanted to ask if you wanted to mention it. Did you want me to mention next year? I'm coming to that. Oh, you're coming to um, it. Okay, I got a eager beaver. Sorry. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's coming today. So my, uh, if you want to hear a lot more about everyone who's on the panel and everyone else who came on Monday to the other panel, you can go on the Black Adoptees Identities and follow uh, previous podcasts. So you will hear a lot more about the details of each one of their lives. And well, I am pausing for the moment uh, with the, the podcast, but we'll be coming back in January. So if any of you are interested to, to come on the second season of the podcast, I will be starting doing interview again in January. So feel free to reach out to me. I would love to, to meet you all and uh, speak to you uh, about your own story. So we need to continue the, the, the uh, conversation and share our voices. So that's why the podcast is here. So please do take advantage of that. I am also with Stephanie, we'll be running um, a retreat next year, uh, one in Portugal and in one in Morocco. So I know we, we, we're running out of time. Uh, so I will, I will send it into an email with all the details. Um, but please, please do join us. Uh, it, it should be a really nice occasion to be in one place. Again, it's to continue this conversation, but also uh, it's for Black women, unfortunately, uh, adoptees. No offense to the men. Hopefully <laughs> in the future we can run one for the men. Uh, but it's, a, it's part of um, cultural exploration, um, kind of the networking and belonging and uh, creating a community of uh, adoptees together, but also uh, an opportunity for thinking about how well-being and uh, resting. Uh, so it is going to be one way to connect in person. Uh, so I hope to see some of you in Portugal and in Morocco next year. It's called finding your voice and embracing your voice. So everything that that kind of entails is what this retreat is about. And, you know, I don't know if people have ever, ever been in a, you know, in a room with a lot of adoptees, of other Black women adoptees ever before. So I think this is our opportunity, like you said, for women to start, but this is hopefully something that will continue and we can open it up to all different people, you know, just to have you embrace your voice and find your voice. 
And thank you very much to everyone in the audience who've joined us this today. Um, it's been really good to see all your comments. Uh, we will be sending some feedback form just to hear more of what um, you've thought about today. Um, and we were aiming to do more of this conversation in the future. So keep in touch as well, because we will do some more. And I am hoping to do one also with Jules in French, because there is also a lot of French adoptees that have been reaching out who don't speak English, who want to have this conversation as well. So maybe Stephanie can join us since you speak French as well. Um, so we that also is coming up uh, sometime next year. So thank, thank you very much. To, thank you. Thank you thank to all you of to you. panelists as well. Thank you guys so much for being here and being vulnerable and having these conversations. And it's heavy. So everyone who's, you know, might have been triggered and might have heard some things that might be a little bit, you know, heavy here. Take care of you for the next yeah. little bit and just have a, you know, have a safe space to go to because these conversations are never light and breezy. They're always quite heavy. And let's make sure that you're taking care of you. Thank you so much you. and um, have a good day, have a good morning, good evening, wherever you are. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. This Bye. is amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you everyone. Bye-bye. This is Christelle Pellecure and you have been listening to Black Adoptees Identities, where Black adult adoptees share their stories. Please do share and subscribe to our podcast and do stay connected with us by following us on Instagram at Black Adoptees Identities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and until next time, goodbye.